2: Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already, ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net, and please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys.
3: The Coaches Network.
1: Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact.
2: Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Dean Parsons. Morning, Dean. How you doing, man?
3: Morning, Yass. How you doing?
2: Very well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to this one as well. Dean, just before we get into the thick of it, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, we'll go from there.
3: Yeah, so um, I- under 11s, under 12s lead phase at Bristol City Academy currently. Um, done a number of different sort of roles around coach development and work with young people. Um, Worked with the women's game and the girls' game as well as uh, been in local, local schools and education and councils doing various different jobs like that. And um, been part of uh, the community scheme that was the community trust at Bristol City Football Club as well. So um, Worn about the years now, but um, being part of some really good programs, um, doing some really interesting things in the local community that support uh, again young people and people with disabilities and, and uh, yeah other various other, other various programs within the club. Um, but yeah, I guess I guess um, amongst all the things I've done beforehand, is I've done a load of things with schools, youth programs, community clubs. Um, I think that's where I started initially, um, grassroots. Um, but yeah, that's that's me in
2: a nutshell. But um, yeah, first of all, thank you for that. I'm sure we'll unpack a lot of that as we go through this. But you know, let's let's just go back to you talked there about you know that being the start of your journey. Um, for a lot of us as coaches, you know, it's often a case of we were you know very enthusiastic about the game itself, um, maybe wanted to be players that maybe hasn't worked out and probably had very likely hasn't worked out. So we've fallen into a career of coaching. Um, and I think, you know, you're probably from a similar generation to me where that probably was the only real option after that, that we were really exposed to, obviously now things have developed, you know, you've got all the multiple disciplines that exist and more specifically, not that it didn't exist back then, but there's more emphasis on the fact that there is multiple pathways now. So what was it for you initially that, you know, drew you into coaching? Um, and more specifically, what was it that you know kind of kept you involved and thought, yeah, this is definitely a career that I want to pursue?
3: Yeah, well, going back to um, going back to grassroots, I suppose, is where I started. I was I was a teenager at the time, so it's a long time ago. Um, the grey areas in the top of my head can suggest uh, suggest that yes, but um, I got to be honest, I got an opportunity to go to an elite environment. Uh, it was something, it was something very random. And I saw some of the things that were going on there and I thought, you know what, that is that is for me. I want to know what it's going to take to get into that position and be that good a coach at that level, dealing with those those type of players. And you can see some of the little ones, even the smallest ones, are doing some crazy things. And I thought, you know what, what is it going to take for me to be able to be that knowledgeable, be able to, you know, get to that standard in that sort of environment? So it kind of uh, it, that that's the main motivating factor for me. What does What is it going to take to get there? And I was, I was seeing people like uh, Rathbrook um, with the pre-academy back in the day, years and years ago. And I don't know if you know Raff Burke, but he's a part of the class of 92. I don't know if he tells many people about that, but uh, he's an incredible person, incredible coach. And that's uh, one of the things that stand out for me back in the day, just seeing that moment, that particular snippet of a session. And that, me thinking, you know what? Yeah, I think that's where I want to be. That's where I want to strive to get to. And from there, I looked at doing you know lots of different things in terms of uh, apprenticeship, coaching through the council, being able to you know get onto various courses, which I probably had no right on being on. To be fair, I, I remember going to uh, Wakefield Park, being on a course with people like Graham Murty, um, people like Nathan Jones, just randomly, and there was me on there, and it was like a I can't remember an old youth module, I think yeah. it was. But there's some big, there's absolutely on that course.
2: Modules myself. It was, you know, I I I've done it when they just came out, and obviously everyone had to kind of get through them. So I, you know, similar to you, I was on I was on courses with all these different people, for all these clubs, and I think to myself, God, this is this is brilliant. Like, but you know, I want I want to take you back a few moments. That you said that you saw that session, and you were saying, well, how, you know, I want I want to know what it takes to be that good a coach. What what was that good a coach? What did you see? that made you feel like, yeah, that's, that's a good coach. Because I think, you know, I was having a recent conversation with someone about how things have changed over the years and it's no right or wrong, but there's been more of an emphasis on maybe how well coaches can develop an environment and make it more individualised for the players nowadays as opposed to maybe there was explicitly, shall we say, maybe 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Um, and, you know, probably coming through a similar generation as myself, old old style b license where it was like bang pass or fail Mm. um you know that was a conversation i was having was that back then everything was about the technical tactical detail um and all the coach educators would demonstrate that piece obviously that's not the case anymore so i'm just very curious to understand you know from your perspective what was a good coach at that point and how much of that then related to you know that the technical aspect versus the environment if that makes sense
3: yeah, right. I guess um, I guess well, this particular snippet of a session with this particular coach was just about you know engagement, and it was more so uh, I guess a ball mastery session, but it's just the way he engaged with the players at times, or you know, all across the fifteen or so minutes I watched of it. So, like I say, a real small snippet of someone working and someone who's played at the the, the highest level, and um, for me, it was just how he was engaging, how the boys were buying into what he's saying. It didn't need to be overly technical or or tactical information. It was just how he was engaging with them. You could see he obviously does. knowing Raph now, he works in schools daily, you know, and uh, he's been around environments and coached some of our, you know, our best players that the academy has had beforehand. So. Yeah, it was it was good for me to see, and uh, obviously a good a good fifteen minutes for me to, to see that particular person at that particular time to make me you know motivated to go and do the things that I've done. So going back to your question about environment, I think you know from what he did then to what we would do now is more or less I think very similar. It's just being able to engage with individuals, build rapport. You know make people feel comfortable around some of the tricky things that we're actually asking them to do as coaches you know and um, you know if we're going to stretch people understanding that stretch at the right time understanding what they've actually done before they walk into that session in that environment and um, just understanding what sort of stresses and strains that your environment's gonna you know put on those young people i think it's really interesting obviously you don't see them throughout the day obviously being a part-time program unless you're in a full-time program with a, a daily session you really need to consider what it is that these guys have done beforehand before they walk into your session, because it could be too much for them. And you just need to amend your practices and amend how you, uh, you know, interact with guys, I suppose. Yeah, I think sure. it's really important to, to take that into consideration whenever you're working with players, sort of, 9 to 12, and even even the teenage guys. So, yeah. Just, just on that, I think you make a great
2: point there. You know, you talk there about... Effectively knowing when to stretch and and what that should look like it is. Would you say, you say, is, how would you describe the that you go through
3: to an stretch and finish, back, back? I guess it comes down to the relationship and the time that you you have with those particular players um, and between you and I think we always have a consensus um, around what we want to do as a staff or individuals. So it's never a case of one person's way is the right way. We normally talk about what it is we do with players, why we're we going to do it. What are the benefits, short term, longer term? And I guess if you're going to go, if you're going to go freelance, just Dean Parsons way of doing things, that you might not necessarily get the best at the individual. So it's really important to have that check and challenge from other people. So if I'm going to do something for this individual, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to do it. What do you think? And then you know, it's the consensus that normally we go with to decide what is best for this player, because obviously no one's got the no one's got the answers themselves. I just that's definitely one thing to be aware of I suppose as a coach you, you're never always gonna have the right answer on your own yeah, especially. No,
2: I, I, I have a question today because if we are not having that common um could be, could be falling in danger somewhere because that maybe, maybe more, more coming out and with your, you have a necessary experience with that fearful fear they kind of, kind
3: of almost expect to, to fight and not go, go with anything different drop other drop than, drop other drop than drop what they already have. That
2: makes that sense. makes sense. Yeah, so again, I, guess I think you're just breaking up a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm just yeah, saying, you know, you come with a certain perspective, perspective that's not be new to them or different to what they're used to, especially as they get older. Maybe younger ages is probably a bit more influential and you can have a more open conversation. There's probably a bit more willingness and accepting approach from them to say, actually, yeah, you know. I'll go with the flow sort of thing whereas older players are probably like oh no I like it this way I like it this way you know in particular you might be looking at top end of the YDP as an example in that respect where you know I've seen it this season with some of the coaches I'm supporting where they've got players and you know they don't want the whole Q&A approach as an example they don't want you to give them that gun. they want to be told but they want to be told because that's what they've associated as good coaching because that's all they've ever been exposed to to a certain extent yeah you uh, you you ever consider the fact that you might actually have a player who just reverts to type and goes back to what they know in a similar fashion
3: yeah sometimes I'm sometimes i guess you have to expose the players to a lot of different variety okay variety being the main thing in any sort of environment you've got to be able to offer them different types of competition different types of fixtures, sometimes where they're comfortable sometimes where they're not comfortable i, I always say to the lads in our environment it's actually my job to make things tougher and listen we've got a we've got to come up with a way to make it as comfortable as possible but you need to realize that it will be tough it's not going to be an easy journey and it gets harder every single time you spend another season in an academy environment it's just one of those things we can't hide the players from you just need to be realistic and and honest but the way you coach them and the way that they will build those sort of attachments to staff because they you know coach in a certain way and then the next season they might have a different couple of staff members that coach in a different way but again it's the variation and you know the different interactions and the way People coach, I guess, and they do need to be exposed to that and that that difference. Just on
2: that, then, how, how explicit are you with maybe declaring what that's going to look like for the players? So, like, you know, I've had a few interactions with players recently where I've kind of gone to the extent of explaining right, what my coaching is going to look like, what they can expect, so that there's no hit by hit, they're not hit by any surprises. You know, one of the things I'm I'm big on is trying to develop a self-awareness for players and obviously as part of that and an approach that kind of leads into that is obviously asking a lot of questions and quite open-ended questions at times. Um, but typically what happens, is you will throw a question at a player they think you're trying to catch them out. And, I, I, you know, over time, they understand eventually, that you know, actually he's not trying to catch us out. That's just how he wants to, that's just how he coaches. Um, but it's almost setting the expectation from the beginning that like this is this is why and then just kind of reinforcing the rationale behind why you're coaching the way you coach, and it's not just expecting the players to understand and assume what the process is and the rationale behind it is.
3: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, yeah, apart from my terrible dad jokes um, that the lads pick up very quickly and ignore very quickly, well, to a point, you've got the. We do. I personally ask. You know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask you for some feedback. I ask feedback for the players because obviously, ultimately, I'm not gonna. Not going to be able to progress what I do with them unless they feedback aspects of that session to me. And obviously, you do get the time where you're asking questions within groups, small groups, and you know the guys just not interested or they freeze. And it's just finding other ways around that to understand what they know. So it's just that kind of like you know, if you were in a classroom, you're doing some sort of uh, summative assessment, just making sure that you're aware of what they're aware essentially. So it's just making sure that you're drawing information out of the players a little bit differently. So for me, it's uh, yeah i'll I'll find that individually. I think that works best for me, but yeah, the lads don't want to break don't want to break cover sometimes in in groups or or you know as a as a whole group, so to speak. So, yeah, it's interesting. but I think you always need to go and find different ways to you know gain information from players, making sure you know what works for them. Uh, again, it comes down to a rapport that you have the lads. So if it's really important to work on this sort of connections, I know they mentioned that on the a y a. Building connections with players, building connections with the people, the importance of the players as well as so, yeah. For me, it's trying to find out in different ways that they're comfortable with again, and I keep going back to it. But sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable, and sometimes the way I interact, it'll be I'll give them some opportunities for that learning to take place, and that you know trial and error, and then being able to take risks that don't necessarily work. And then it'll be a case of structuring the conversation to a point where actually, okay, it's not working. This is what's not working. What are you going to do about it? Yeah.
2: that no, makes absolute sense. I'm now curious. Now obviously going back to your journey. Now you go, you know, you start off, you talked there about you know doing your courses, jumping on the youth modules and having people around you at the time, and then you know, largely doing you know council based, community-based stuff. Where where's your mind at now? If you have to go back to that point and you start to think, oh actually coaching is very different to what it did then. And now I've got over a decade, decades of years of experience in the academy environment. Like, how different is it really? Because, you know, this is often a debate, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think it's frightening what I know now compared to what I didn't know. So it's, it's um, it's always the gap of information and where you learn it and where you pick it up. For me, it's being around people that I've worked with and who I've known if I had to go back to a younger self and explain, you know, this is the one thing that's going to help you move forwards and progress and be the best you can be, it would be basically around small-sided games. That's that's my approach, personally. I would base a lot of things that I do around small-sided games, constraints, conditions, and I think you can work on anything within reason. Um, obviously, how you periodize a week is different, and then again, younger Dean didn't know that, but older Dean definitely understands the the implications of that. So, yeah, I, I think... Um, it's really interesting to, to, to think back and think, well, you know, you thought it was all tech-tech, but actually the more I, the more I think about it, everything for me now of around the social corner. Um, obviously you'll need, you'll need to be good at the tech-tech stuff, but, but for me it's the psychological implications and the social implications. That I think maybe will hamper players along the journey more so than the tech-tech because you'll always get guys that are good technically and savvy tactically. It's those other two elements that are really gonna, I think, define define a player.
2: I totally get where you're coming from. Um, I can't help but feel there's a bit of resistance for me, right? In that, I think over the over the recent years, we've moved to a point where people come away with the side. And I don't don't get me wrong. The social corner, the, the side corner, all, they're all important. ultimately, is what I'm trying to say. But I think we get. I think we're in a bit of a situation where some coaches say I'm going to work in this corner today. And in my opinion it's almost how is that possible? Yeah, I
3: understand what you're saying.
2: You, you, you can't you can't that. differentiate the you, you, it cannot happen, right? Um you cannot say I'm isolating the work in the social corner and I think well, Why I really want to make that point is because, you know, you talked there about your approach being around small-sided games and using games for for, uh, learning and whatnot. And I I fully agree with that idea as well. I think, you know, I think the approach to using games, I think the danger that we fall into with that is, I'm working in a social corner today, let the game be the teacher. And it's like, okay, Uh, I'm not saying that's what you're saying, uh, (laughs) just to be clear, but I think we are in a real danger where that, that is how a lot of coaches are just... You know, getting away with just putting on games, um, and even recently, I was having a conversation just even just 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 yesterday that, you know, what 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 should the percentage be in terms of how much in possession versus out of possession work you do with your players each week, and whether you've got one session, two sessions, you know, what, what's the percentage that you kind of generally work on, and I think, again, that whole games based approach, let the game be the teacher, and then then a lot of people then. General, I'm generalizing here but a lot of people gravitating towards more in possession based work it allows them to get away with that and say oh we're allowing the players to have creativity and yeah but there's a lot of fluff there in it
3: yeah i think it's facilitating over actual coaching so it's important to you know it's important to reference that because you can just put on a session sometimes and let the kids go with it and you'll probably pick out the things that you see that are working or things that you're working on but yeah, I, I think you've got to be very careful around that. So I probably, I probably, um, probably mis, misworded that aspect. It, I don't see it as a, you know, things in isolation. I think it's kind of a continuum. All the things overlap. Everything overlaps in one aspect or another. I think it has to as well, by the way. So, in terms of like social corner or social, the the social side of things, I think, yeah, if you're not confident, for example. The chances of your technique might not be, you know, as it needs to be in the final third, for example, or inside the box. Uh, I think everything's got implications and considerations from those other areas of the game. I, I firmly believe that. I'm not saying it's always right, but that's what I've noticed and what I've experienced so far. But going back to earlier, Dean, I, I definitely probably was a facilitator. Yeah, I think in terms of uh, in terms of the different environments I've been, I've definitely been a facilitator. Oh. Just, just on
2: that then. When did you maybe consciously realise the difference between facilitation and coaching? When did you start to actually go from one to the other, if, if if that makes sense?
3: I think it comes back to the individuals and what they need. Because if you're not going to give the individuals that need a stretch something else, then that, that facilitator mode or that session that you're facilitating yeah. doesn't give them what they need.
2: When, so when did you, you realise that for yourself? That was, would, was, there, was there a specific moment where you think, oh, blimey, actually, I've, I've not been coaching at all?
3: Um, not really, not not really a particular moment. It's just uh, different types of sessions that I was delivering at the time. So uh, I was still working within the sort of community and then doing academy sessions at one point in time. And uh, I realized that actually at one stage I was probably doing the reverse of what I needed to do. <laughs> So absolutely, the kids, the kids in this environment don't need the extra little bits I'm giving them here. Let's just rewind and let them play the game. And the kids here are actually enjoying the game. Probably need a little bit more direction, a little bit more coaching from me. So it's just, uh, yeah, the realization that uh, this needs to be, uh, this needs to be, you know, corrected, and I need to change my behaviours here. So this is again very early on.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's quite interesting because obviously I think. Again, another, another debate often having coaches, you know, to say, you know, like you just described, Aiden, these players need a little bit more from me. Or, again, I, I wrestle with that thought sometimes because it's almost like, do they actually need more? Or do they just need something different? And because it might mean it's more of a coaching element or more inclination, we assume that it means more when it actually it's just something different to what they should be getting from us, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's almost. What happens when they get that? So, as an example, you talk, you know, you talk about two different groups. There, one that's really enjoying it, and then this group here that, you know, they're, they're getting a bit of it. Let them play, but it's almost they, they need a bit more information. But actually, why should that information stop for this group too? Maybe the information just needs to be tailored and maybe layered up on, if that makes sense. And it's almost again, a challenge coaches sometimes to think: well, if if your players are hitting your outcomes that you've desired for them, what next? how long do we let them, how long do we sit on that point where they've, where they've hit your outcomes?
3: Hmm.
2: You know, how, how, what, what, when do we, when do we decide actually we're going to, we're going to layer on top or do we just marinate and sit? yeah, yeah, they've hit the outcomes. Fantastic. And just sit in that, sit in that for the next 60 minutes of a 90 minute session, as an example. Um, yeah. I don't know what your
3: thoughts are on that. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think sometimes you need to stand back. And just remove yourself, remove yourself from the session, and have a little look, to see at how it's how it's going. What are the individuals getting out of it? How is it? How is the structure? And then, yeah, do you know what? If you do add something a little bit more complicated, or you know, add something in a little bit sooner than needed, is that a terrible idea altogether? I mean, it's the skill of the coach to work out what's needed. But ultimately, if you're gonna if you're gonna add something into the session where the guys are hitting all the things that you're looking for, is that going to be the end of the world? Probably not. So just bear in mind, like, if you're going to do something like that, that's fine. But you've always got to have the, the why you're doing it. You're doing it for the sake of doing it. And if you're doing it for the sake of doing it, I challenge that again. So it probably, probably comes back to me talking to whoever I'm coaching with or if I'm on my own, just thinking about, actually, why do I need to do that? I think the why is important. Who are you doing it for? Why are you doing it all together?
2: Yeah, 100%. I think also, just to lay on, lay on that, is the why is important. I think it should be important that you also evidence the why. Mm. You know, not just have a justification for it based on your own opinions, your own experiences, but actually, this is why. I've actually, you know, it's not a case of, like right, Dean did this 10 years ago and it worked for me then, so it's working for me now. And I, I know it worked for me, but yeah, but why did it work? What allowed it to work? And just looking at the finer details within that. So, you know, come back to your journey. You, know, you talked there about you mentioned briefly about still doing community sessions early on being involved in the academy. Was that before or after, you know, around being involved in the female side of things as well?
3: Uh, well I think it was beforehand, really. I mean, before I went full-time in the academy, it was definitely beforehand when I was a part-time coach. Uh, I had a, a, a couple of months and a, an opportunity to go and work with the RTC, the centre that works alongside the, um, obviously, the women's academy. Um but yeah, interesting times, completely different to what I found with the Boys Academy, which is for anyone who's going to, anyone's going to try that, it's worth doing because it is a little, it is, for me, it was different in a good way. Um, how I, how I interact and how I coach was a little bit different as well. Um, what sense? I, Just in terms of, um, in terms of the interactions, I find that um, they, for, for from my experience, they literally held on to every word I mentioned, whereas in the boys, you have to work hard to get the messages across, I guess. I don't know if you've ever found that, yes, but. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, I find
2: that with, um, with female players generally, it's not that they're necessarily more interested to know, but it's probably the best way to describe it it's quicker to get your credibility across to them. Yeah. And, you know, they buy into you a lot quicker because they're maybe a little bit more curious and they want to know the why. They want to know well, why am I doing that. Um, so it doesn't take a lot to. It, it, I think it takes a lot less effort when you're working with girls to actually get your information across. But I think you also then have to be. I don't, I'm just generalizing here, but I think you also then have to be a bit more considerate. In, in my more well, in my experiences, on how you communicate the information. Whereas I think with boys you can be a you know not not to say, again generalizing probably can get away with being a bit more direct whereas some girls some players may not respond well to that in the female game um however those were very much my views when i first came into it and kind of early experiences of working with female players and i haven't had a lot of it but what i what i guess where i'm at now is well fundamentally they're all the same all the players are the same, they're just players. And I think the, the, the biggest mistake we potentially make is if we start to differentiate them from being male to female, rather than just looking at them as a player and, and where they're at on their journey, if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, of course. I find for me, I had a small a small scope of time of three months working with the under 15s. And um, what I, well, I, it challenged me initially because obviously I, I didn't have a, a great amount of time with the players, didn't know the players, so I had to build my rapport quite quickly. And they had to suss me out very quickly, so my behaviours changed in terms of what I would do normally. Did I think to, simply because they had to. Because of the time. Yeah. Time did you Did you reflect <laughs> on
2: that "Actually, behaviour different," or did you know, you know, and feel it, feel it, it in the moment?
3: I think I had to adapt my behaviours. Really, I think I adapt adapt my behaviours simply to suit the situation, I suppose. Um, but actually, on reflection, it was, I think it was a a right move and the right way to do things. And um, again. Learning learning the group, the group understanding how I work and and my mannerisms and how I coach. Um but yeah it was with, uh, in, in
2: in adapting your behaviours at any time, I would say is the major differences that you call yourself learned as a as a code of the behavior you implemented from working with like you on your yourself because it'd be typically uh, uh, described too. Describe
3: to well, like like you say, the way we interacted and the way I got information across was easier for me. I, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it was it was definitely more. It was definitely more efficient than what it would be when I was working with a teenage boys' group. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm
2: just curious. I'm, to think the the team team well. Is it because you didn't you know, the so they, so they so were good. more engaged in all of the information?
3: Not. not. I'm not too sure. I, even even all these years and all the times I've reflected, I'm still not sure. I just think they were a particularly good group as well, which helped. Yeah. Um, yeah. But also, it's just because they're just. Really good people, like really good players, really good people, um, really patient as well. So even if there was a lot of walkthroughs or a lot of things that normally would get teenage boys a uh, teenage boys bored, um, you know, it, it didn't it didn't affect them in any shape or form. It was really good, a really good experience for me, and a really good uh, really good experience that I'd say to anyone else is probably worth doing because it's just different in a really positive way.
2: 100, yeah, percent and I say to coaches all the time, like. It's good to get a blend of female-male coaching, especially with younger age groups and, you know, that kind of teenage age group as well, because it it really does stretch and challenge you around how to get your messages across. And I think in in many ways, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last kind of 12 months, you know, supporting coaches in the female game as well, is you've got to be more accountable as a coach. I think that's probably one of the biggest things I've, I've, I've picked up, here, especially when working, you know, seeing coaches work with female players. In, in many respects they've, they've almost got to take more accountability in working with female players than they do with male players in my opinion, from what I've seen, because by nature, it, it, you know, just the way it is, the female player wants the information a lot quicker, they want, they want the clarity, they want to ask the question, they want to know exactly why and understand how the male player thinks they know everything already um, and they'll only listen to you when either they see you pull off a worldy demo yourself or you, you just catch them in the right moment where they're thinking actually i need help here so there's a lot of ego i think there's a lot more ego involved the male players and i think that's probably the biggest challenge to kind of overcome in comparison to what that of the female player and I think I think it is a great opportunity for coaches to really look at themselves, and I think and I think also it doesn't it goes underestimated just how um, how the physicality of the game is so different as well. Yeah. I, I think agree. I think working with female players and watching coaches work with female players, and then looking at my own experiences working with male players predominantly, you have to think very differently about the te- you know especially the tactical side of it. Like the strategies and the approaches that you need to apply, because obviously the you know the, the the biology and the fact that the girls aren't as physical as the boys and and vice versa, you know it, it it fundamentally challenges you and stretches you to think about different ways in which you can coach, especially from a technical tactical perspective as well. I think it's actually a great thing, um, although you know it's not for everyone, but I think there's definitely massive benefits that you can pick up from it.
3: Yeah, no, I agree. I think I learned tons from it. To be fair, even even in a short space of time, it really stretched me. And um, yeah, really good experience. And when the club offered me to, you know, go and support them, I thought brilliant. Absolutely, i will take that. And um, yeah, run with it. And luckily, I did. So, uh,
2: how much did the age group play a part for you?
3: Say that again, sorry. Yes.
2: Yeah. How much would? The, how much did the age group itself play a part for you in that in that decision?
3: Um. I've worked across all age groups, to be fair, in the in the boys. So like, nines, under sevens, eights to sixteens. So for me, it was just an opportunity. The reason I wanted to do it is because it was something different and it was an opportunity. And um, I know it wasn't for a long time and uh, I didn't you know, make massive waves of strides there, but it was a really good opportunity for me as a coach to work with some really good players in a different sort of environment. And then obviously you work a little bit different. Um, despite the fact that we're all now one club obviously Bristol City Football Club Academy Bristol City uh, the women's side of things and you know it was a good opportunity for me ultimately Um, and a good stretch so I recommend to anyone like I say like I keep saying (laughs) Awesome awesome so then building on from that you had
2: that three months tell us about how how your journey evolves from there at the moment you're part-time in the academy had that opportunity how soon was it after that you went you know full-time
3: I think it was about a season two seasons maybe um yeah, so predominantly working in the foundation set, uh, foundation phase years, which for me are the most rewarding phases I've ever been a part of. And uh, uh, why would you say that? I just think you, you can. It's the habits that you can instill that they'll continue to have. I think it's really important. It, these groups, these groups can't be neglected, and then you just want to make sure that the habits are right. In my opinion, and like I said, the habits that they can have all the way through their journeys. But,
1: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: I think you can have the most impact there as a coach. Whether that's right or wrong, there might be other people that will argue that. But um, for me, again, if, you, if you're going to do it right, or if you're going to make sure that you've got those particular habits that they're going to take all the way through their journeys... Even something as simple as like uh, you know your appearance and how you how you would behave you know pitch side during the sessions simple things like that that will probably get you know take for granted now obviously but um, yeah those little those little things we work within principles which I think is really important as well to make sure that uh, you know whether you're an under nine or under sixteen these principles are here you can obviously work within those principles a little bit differently but as long as the same sort of outcome and the principle is uh you know completed carried out or you know maintained it's i think it's really important i think i think also you can miss players if you're going to be very um rigid in terms of your approach so again this is why i like principle-based practices and principle-based approaches for younger players in particular just for
2: um take of anyone listening to this just so little clear on what you're actually discussing there. Can you mind us an example of what you mean by that?
3: Uh, so for example, a uh, the, 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 the couple of seasons ago, I think um, it was, I think Alex Bourne and Luke Williams come up with a set of principles for our academy that so said, look, okay, no matter what first team you're going to be in one day or wherever you are in football, these are some of the principles that I think we need to start working on looking at as a club. And they're they're as simple as, like, play forward, do the the thing, do your job for the team, do the thing you're good at. So we call it your USP, um, compete for everything, Um, run at intensity, whether that's recovery running or, you know, busting a lung to get in the box to to meet across, that sort of thing, or pressing. Um, And play forwards. Whenever you can, try and play forwards whenever you can, if, if possible. And, again, we all know in the game it's not always possible to play forwards, so... What does that look like? So these basic principles are there all the way through our academy, which obviously are are fundamental to our our philosophy and our processes, and forms the basis for our sessions. So I think it's I think it's a good way to um, not lose people through the cracks that are good at various other things and got different traits and different skill sets. They can still perform that within those principles. I think you'll you'll find more players that you know. Longer term, I think you'll you'll create more players by doing so. Sure. then being really specific and looking at role profiles and you know we could be in a bit of a danger can't
2: we when we're looking at role profiles because you could be pigeonholing players that yeah. aren't, aren't, aren't built for that and fundamentally obviously yes you want to develop certain type of players you know if your long-term strategies to potentially especially in the academy brand produce players for the first team and move them up into that well in, in three years time they're halfway through their you know their, their development journey in the academy the first team manager changes probably less than three years and probably sooner than sooner than that um that all of a sudden that role profile might look very different but you can't just keep chopping and changing because there's no consistency and continuity around what the player is actually trying to work towards but I'm, I'm curious now because you know you said you were know, you work, currently working in the foundation phase a lot of your work has been done in the foundation phase you're kind of at that 11s 12s now which is a bit of a it's a bit of a, a transition period for players because they're obviously going through so many changes
0: whether yeah. that be
2: going from primary school to secondary school whether that be going from uh, seven aside to nine aside and whatnot and you know there is so many changes taking place at that period of time so it's such a pivotal moment in the, in the young players you know development what what is really important from your perspective and your experiences to really consider at that age grouping and you know and because it, it just reminded me of a conversation I've had recently with coaches around well Everyone seems to be talking, and I say I'm generalizing again, but everyone seems to be talking about the importance of ball mastery at the foundation phase, and then all of a sudden the focus shifts when it gets to youth development phase, and you know, to more uh, how to play as part of a team, and and then obviously that shifts again when it gets to PDP when looking at right how to win. Essentially, you know, those are kind of your three common threads, you know, uh, that you get you get across the phases, but it, it doesn't seem like there's enough work, in my opinion done to prepare players during that transition phase so in you know in 11s and 12s in particular where they might be going through what might be considered a heavily ball mastery kind of focus and getting them to understand how to work with the ball and move the ball and run with the ball to the point where they're now looking at how to combine with others and whatnot what does that look like for you from your perspective and then how you know what the important things that you need to consider at 11s and 12s do
3: you think yeah, there's a lot of the answer there, but I, get, I guess the change, understanding the change is important. Like you say, the transition between their, their schools, if they're not in a private school already, which has, in my opinion, a more of a natural progression in their own in their own private schools than they would do mainstream school, um, it's just understanding the change because they, they could be going from, you know, they might be doing a PE lesson or a sports competition the same evening as you've got training. So when they rock up and they're absolutely exhausted and you're wondering why, well, that could be the reason why. So it's just taking things into account like that, it's just understanding what their working week looks like, because it's going to be a massive change for them. So they've never been exposed to that sort of workload beforehand until they go into that secondary school. So I think for, for the 11s and 12s, 12s in particular, obviously, it's uh, a really important thing to, to to note. And then for me, I would even say to some of those guys that have got big, big nights or big competitions, don't worry about training. It's really important. Like if I don't want to to take a risk by putting you in a session you go into absolute capacity then you know, more or less breaking i think i need to you know i need to make sure that the risk for you to be able to complete your full week is more important than just one session within that week um because obviously you're not playing the weekend you might not play the week after if you're if, if you're if you're getting overuse injuries because of us not understanding what you're doing in the week, it's really important for us to just ask the question. Okay, well, you know, what is it you're doing the week? Ah, oh, Dean, I'm actually doing like three lots of this. I've got hockey, I've got a cross country competition. That's like, okay, well, right, let's have a little look at what we can do to help you because we will still want you to compete, still want you to train, still want you to do the very best. And actually, some can do it all, but there'll be the ones that you, the ones that can. And don't want to be forthcoming with the information they're probably the ones you have to help and sometimes in the program and football you have to save people from themselves at times I like to say actually that it's not going to affect your position here if you miss this session it's really right. important just to help manage the weather.
2: a lot of parents and players are probably looking thinking, well, no, if we're not there, are we going to be disadvantaged as a result of that
3: yeah it's always the fear but it's it's something i reassure people of like it's okay and, and when i say it's okay I mean we accept that. We accept that this is this is what it looks like in the short term. Longer term you'll be exposed to a you know a great a great more than what you're exposed to already. I think going back to going back to what you said as well, yes, I think you need to make sure that playing different formats will always bring the difficult different and more difficult for some, the physical returns. So whether it is you're pressing on a big pitch, whether you're actually asking them to play an opponent that's going to have more of the ball and offer different types of returns. So more defending, more physical outputs in terms of recovery, sliding, all the, all the, all the tough work and hard yards, I think is important to expose those 11s and 12s. So in the 12s at the minute, we, we go 11 aside, which again is throwing something else at them, which is probably a a little bit more advanced in their years, but it's something that we've had for quite a long time. And, you know, the build as part of the program to be able to, For them to be able to understand what the game looks like from that perspective as well, so they're not spending the thirteen season working out what the eleven aside game looks like. I mean, that's just one of many reasons. To be fair, but the sevens and twelves in in particular, we like to play a lot, lots of different variety type format games. So I think it's really important. So it's it's a shock, otherwise, for the players in our experience. Yeah, hundred percent. I think what's really important
2: about what you said there is to recognize that. Fundamentally, there is no right and wrong way. There's going to be pros and cons to every approach. You know, some clubs literally say, "Well, we're not going to do any 11-a-side sides to get to 13s." I, I'm of the opinion that actually, the sooner you can start it, the sooner the sooner they can start to climatize themselves. They might struggle massively in the beginning, but actually, I'm looking at this season for instance, a club I'm, I'm working with. You know, the, the under 13s that they've got were meant to play nine v nine. Um, it turns out the actual the the under 13s actually ended up playing 11 v 11 because the league. You know, that was the rules, apparently. Um, But actually now those those players have a year of 11 v 11 football under their belt that potentially the opponents that they're going to have next year wouldn't. Um, so it's, 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 yeah, I, you know, I think there is no right or wrong, but it's just looking at right what are the, what are the trade-offs. How do we how do we then support the players and consciously try and make up for some of the maybe lost contact time on the ball and little things like that that they might not get if they're playing from eleven v eleven to nine v nine. You hear about some clubs, you know, I think Leicester Leicester's one of them where in their games when they when they do home games with their with their academy boys, especially in the foundation phase, they they they're already implementing the offside rule. Yeah. They get them to work with the side wall from early on. And it, it, it's little things like that. Like You're not expecting them to get it straight away. You're not expecting them to be, make, you know, be 100% with it. But actually, if you're exposing them to it, they've got a consideration and it starts to develop them around it. What are your thoughts on that sort of thing?
3: No, I totally agree. Uh, something that our, uh, our head of school board coaching, who Hussey did years ago, was formulate the plan to be able to play 11 aside beforehand. So before they got to those ages where they normally played it, expose them to it younger and a little bit sooner. And for us it's just pay dividends season after season. I think, like you say, you've got a year of eleven side under your belt and all, and all you don't want to, you know, jump straight to the eleven side game. We coach and support those players heavily through that process. It's not a case of sink or swim, we're gonna do it, oh they're sinking. No, it's a it's a real case of support all the way through that process. So understanding what that looks like within units, understanding what we're asking of them individually, I think is really important to show that show that care for the players and the parents because It'll be a shock for a few, but it won't be a consistent. I've got to make sure. i got to make that clear. It's not a consistent. It's games that are structured and strategically placed within the season. There'll be times where we want to do more than than nine aside side games, but again, it's the variety that we act, that we incorporate as part of our program for the long term development. Just on that,
2: really quickly, what are some of the considerations you're putting into practice? You know, to kind of think about right when in the when is the right time for this, or is it a bit of what's available and who's available more more than actually want it at this time if that makes sense.
3: I think it's more so um, from a physical perspective as well and the, that tactical perspective. So giving them all the all the space to be able to manage and to play in and you know understanding of the principles that you know they're still developing. I think we try and do a lemon post Christmas. So we give a gradual build up to that point and then say, okay, well, we're gonna try this. And then we can still go 99. We always get the difference going away. You know, we we can still play 11 aside at home. We can do 99 at home. It, de- it often depends. But for the 12s this season that have just played, we have predominantly done 11 aside simply because the group is in a position to be able to handle that and be able to cope with it. Yeah, you've got Not to my really opponents. For um, some, that, sometimes it? one or two clubs aren't keen, but that's absolutely fine. Again, we get the difference from those other clubs, so we'll play nine side against them, or or a different format that suits them. Um, I enjoy going out to Leicester the season and doing two formats, which, which and again I like playing different formats on a match day. It just means more minutes for the lads. I can play players across groups with, you know, the hindsight of developing them in different ways as well, which is always a bonus.
2: Really good. So, oh, Salina, so, you know, you've gone full time. Then, you know, come back to the previous question. What would you say again? Are those major differences that you kind of you stagger through now? Foundation phase, youth development phase, professional development phase. What should, in your opinion, what should the focus be, and where should that lie? Because obviously, you talk there about that 11s, 12s, and that transition period, and some of the considerations around that. But I think it's just as important. People talk about all the time, you know, understanding what the journey maybe could or should look like for that player. Um, recognising that not every player is going to be coming right at the bottom of that in terms of foundation phase in academy. They might come in at youth development phase. They might even just come straight into PDP. But recognising what they should maybe have as a pathway, where, where, where's your thoughts on where coaches should really focus their attention at the foundation phase and then obviously at the YDP in particular?
3: Um, I think, again, I think it's principle-based because that will change depending on the age uh, Depend on the physical demands of the players and what they play in. So again, if they're playing consistently 77, so consistently 11 to 11, that's different. Um, but yeah, I, I guess you still need to work on the basic principles of what, for us in particular, we would ask our players. And again, that'll be another level, depending on the age and the understanding of these players. So I, d- I don't think there'll be a specific sort of phase where I think, you know, that's going to be the most important. Because I think, again, it's a journey, isn't it? The only thing I would say is that there would be at some stage and this again this is this is again just talking about my own experiences here some of the best players will need speed bumps at some stage you know we talk about speed bumps and difficult times that they need to come through again understanding what they have going on away from the environment is important because we don't want to give them extra speed bumps that they've got to endure and try and you know work through in the environment as well as away from football so I guess everyone's got speed bumps at some stage in their life. And it's just understanding where and how and when and all the particulars that, you know, you need to you need to consider before you put them in place. So I, I'm putting some speed bumps in place for a player this season where I know he hasn't had them before. So, again, in every review that we speak about, it's not a uh, it's not an easy progression to become a professional footballer. It's not you're starting, you know, at level one and then gradually just work your way through to level 100 it's not a it's not a straight line on a graph you're going to have some bumps in the road and what they look like is you know different for every individual but sometimes as an academy and as a coach we have to tailor make some of these you know bumps in the road and I guess you've come across it before yes and uh, I know there's a lot of quality coaches that have spoken like this on the podcast before but there's some things that you have to you have to you know put in place and there'll be things that just happen naturally because it's the programs the environment is what it is um, but the danger for us and the experiences that we've had beforehand is having players that have never had those experiences or those speed bumps and when it has come to a position where they for example not played or you know not been selected you start yeah, seeing yeah. some dramatic emotional responses that don't shed them in a good light. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's a very mild way of putting it, but um, it's important to prepare them for things like that. So in terms of what you're saying, there's a foundation phase, youth development phase, PDP, those speed bumps are really important. Uh, I, think, I think they have to be there for long-term development. Mm-hmm. I, th-
2: I think you know just going to take my mind back to that, how much of that is going to be maybe announced for them around we're gonna put these speed bumps in place. Absolutely. This is this, this is the speed bump we're gonna put in place for you. And now it's time to kind of, yep, yeah, you know, or is it just you know you might throw that spanner in the works and yeah leave it to see what happens if that makes sense, you know. And obviously there's you know, there's individual approaches. You might give some players a bit more guidance and a bit more um, notice if you're like than others. You know, what what what's your kind of what, what's your kind of thought process through that?
3: Yeah, I guess it's a case of the staff understanding the individual and what does that player need? What sort of buy-in would he have? So, for example, you might speak to the parents about it because you understand the parents will be on board with it, but also not necessarily tell their son about it. Um, it, it, can, it can work a number of ways, to be fair. I mean, that's, a, that's, that's a, very, um, it's a very dramatic example, but it could be something as simple as you know playing them out of position one day it could be, an ex- another example could be, right, this is what we're going to do for you today, bear in mind this is going to be tough, we'll accept this tough but we want to see what you can get out of this and just share that information with the player before they go into that challenge that you set or longer term, there might be specific days, as I've had this season I've had some specific days where the players haven't expected it to be as tough as they found it because of the players that they were playing against um, and also the, the team that they were lined up in. So, for example, I made it tough on purpose. Um, and instead of you know having the usual support and the quality around them, so to speak, they found it tough. And then it was interesting to see the responses afterwards. So, yeah, just tough days. You've got to put them in, put them in the stretch and give them some tough experiences.
2: Sure. So just the thought of that, you talked about potentially changing players' positions, and there's quite an interesting debate on this one. When... When should we start to specialise a player's position? When we should? When, how how much time should we spend on specialised positions? And at what what stage do you think that's important? I think the reason why I ask is because I've, I've had an experience this year with a lot of coaches that I'm working with and a lot of the players that they're working with, where they come in and say, "Well, I'm this position." Oh, really? Okay, but but why? Because you've always played though? Because that's what you're best best suited to? Uh, you know, is is always that debate, and or is it because that's where mum and dad want you to play?
3: Yeah. I normally have the conversation around, uh, okay, well, if this is a cup final, if this is a cup final and you need to pick your best position, where you're the most effective, where would you put yourself? And usually it's nine out, nine out of ten times is the place where you we all see that player playing. Not necessarily because they want to play there, it's just because that's where they see the best of them. Interesting.
2: Interesting. Because cause, cause one of the challenges, you know, you talked there earlier about... Um, you know, female footballers and differences, I think one of the things that I've I've often observed, and this is, to, to be fair, I've, I've noticed it a lot with female players this year, but um, you see it, you see it with young players generally. If they've gone from one environment where they may be the best player in that environment or, can, or perceived to be the best player in that environment and then come to a new environment, they come with the assumption that they're going to be, that's, they have that same status in the group in the new environment. But actually, when they go to the new environment, you well, you might you might come in at the bottom of the group. Yeah. So you're no longer going to be a centre forward. You might actually be more effective in this group at this level as a as a fullback. But actually, at this level, you're playing as a centre forward. You know. So the higher the level you go, and then you start to have those conversations with players. Well, what's more important to you, playing up front or playing as a senior pro? Yeah. And senior pro might mean that you actually end up being a fullback, as an example. How do you approach that? What are your thoughts around that? Because obviously, you know, it's, it's, you know, you gave an example there about, you know, if this was a cup final. But they're probably still thinking very much, yeah, it's a cup final. I can still do a job in that position.
3: But you've got players that have particular traits to suit a number of different positions. I guess the danger is you don't want to be a, you know, a seven out of ten in a number of different positions. But then again, you know, I could challenge that as well could you and you know could you could you have a could you have a professional career by being seven out of 10 in a number of different positions i think we've all got examples of players that could actually do that and players that play within the teams we love week in week out that have actually achieved that so you know i think it can go both ways i think if you're if you're comparing that player to somebody else within the group though that's where you're fall short um, longer term but uh, i think you do want to try and you know, pick the position that will suit your attributes, and try and you know stick with that and go with that one hundred percent. But again, going back to it, if your recruitment's really good and you've got a number of players that play in a similar position, then you're you're a bit up against it, yes, I suppose, aren't you?
2: Well, I think that's, it. that's, it. that's the difficulty sometimes, isn't it? Because you say as well, I mean, players, and this is another thing that parents need to understand is well. You know, the player might be good enough to be at playing at a certain level, but if there's no spaces in that position at the group or the team that they're going after or the club that they're going to try and get into, that's fundamentally going to play a massive part. So the players might actually be brought in with the intention of, actually, you know, we can get you in because you've got a good profile, you've got good attributes, but we're not going to get you in for this position. And then I think that's, that's again, coming back to the debate around, well, what's more important to you, where you play or what level you play? So I think it's a, it's, it is an ongoing debate for parents and coaches to think about. But let, let's come back to you a little bit, Dean, then, you know, you... you <laughs> You've had a lot of experiences, um, especially in the academy scene. Would you would you consider yourself a bit of a foundation
3: phase specialist now then? Or uh, listen, I don't think I'd ever consider myself that. I know I've uh, I know I've been around a long time and coached across a number of different groups, and you know I've been lucky enough to work with some terrific families and players. But you know, uh, still learning. Yes, you've got, yeah. to be, you've got to be humble. You've got, to, you've got to still learn a lot. Yeah, uh, there's still a lot yeah. I still a lot I don't know. Well, I think- no, you make a great point i
2: think it is you know you, you, you can't you can you can still be learning and still be considered a specialist but or you know the, the other aspect of it. would you say you specialize in the foundation phase if you don't want to consider yourself as a specialist
3: that would be a better way to put it yes i reckon yeah yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah absolutely i mean i'm a lead cell coach but that doesn't exclude me from working with other groups luckily enough i'm, I'm still around nine, nine to 12 so i'd where'd say you, that you go next? That's, a, that's a great question great question i think um it would have to be, you know, probably looking looking at how you would contribute towards the program. No, keeping those uh, keeping those age groups, you know, in mind is how you contribute towards programs, I suppose. So maybe something like a head of phase or something like that. I'm not sure, but um, I'm happy doing what I'm doing at the minute and keep developing players that I work with.
2: Amazing, amazing. So let's you know, just on that note, there. You talk about developing players. Um, obviously, as coaches, we want to continue learning, continue developing. So, you know just looking back through your journey who would you say are some of the key people that have helped you develop and what are some of the key messages that you've kind of picked up along the way before actually these are some moments where i feel like my, my coaching has just jumped up another level and it's been transformed because of this interaction or a series of interactions and these are the lessons i've picked up if that makes sense
3: oh um
2: bit of a loaded question i know
3: yeah yeah massively but um <laughs> I got. I got to say, um, Luke Hussey has been like pinnacle for me in terms of what I've been able to achieve and what I've been able to do. Um, he's offered me a lot of different experiences and uh, been my mentor, I suppose. You know, through through the years that we've worked together, and um, there's been there's been opportunities for me to succeed and opportunities for me to fail that he's been fully aware of, and he knows I'm going to get myself into some. Uh, he knows I'm going to get myself into some some areas that I know I'm going to find difficult. So in terms of in terms of how I approach different um, challenges within the role especially when I was a new foundation phase lead he knew that I would get things wrong and then you know I have to learn the hard way at some stage to get things right so for me that's been a real big steep learning curve but with his support I think that's been fantastic and I've been able to um, you know take a lot from that and even those early lessons where it's been you know some some things like leaving people out of team sheets and stuff like that. It's such a rookie mistake to make, but a real a real big thing to to understand because what it is to that player and those parents, and you know, just some small things like that in terms of just getting processes right, and then stretching yourself to making sure your process is best they can be, and then that links links to the program, and then stretching yourself in terms of what the program looks like. How can we be better? How can, best, how, got, how can we get the best out we how can we get the best out the staff we got? How can we get the best out of the players we've got? And yeah, like I say, everything's a continuum for me. Um and it's, it still helps me today. And I still look at things the same way because of what he's he's helped me to to realise. So yeah, I, I guess, yeah, I I guess that would be be the one for me.
2: Sure. So then obviously now you know, linking linking off the back of that then. I don't even coach 15 fifteen, twenty almost almost fifteen years now, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Enough. Right. So going looking at what you know now. And I know you kind of you, you briefly touched on it right at the top of the conversation, but if you could go back and give one or two key messages around what your most useful learnings have been all over these years, and you could then start your all you know, you can go speak back to yourself at the start of that journey. What what would be the what would be the two biggest, you know, you know, the most useful pieces of learning that like you can say, actually, you know what, you need to take this into consideration straight away and you maybe would have just had a, a bigger impact. But you talked earlier about having an impact on the players. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that kind of keeps you going if you like.
3: Yeah, OK, I would say be comfortable and being vulnerable, because I think the way that people build trust is for you being honest and adding clarity to situations. I think it's really important. Like, can you give an example of it? Because you
2: know, I think this is a real big, big piece for me around around how 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 impactful and effective it can be for the coaches to be vulnerable.
3: Just understand that. For example, for me, it would be reviews. Just understanding that it's difficult and builds a lot of anxiety for players and parents. And uh, sometimes I'll be looking at you for all the answers, and there'll be a time where you probably haven't got it, but you will have it for them soon. And it's just being able to accept that, okay, look, I haven't got it for you. I know I should have it, but I haven't. And if I haven't, you know, I'll work hard to get you the answers that you need.
2: So you think that's a bit of an unfair expectation on you then in that respect? Because I think think there is many things where I I do believe, you know, the coach's role is there to support, but you can't be expected to have every single answer, surely. Because otherwise you'd be, yeah.
3: No, as always, as always, if you haven't got one there, you'll get something that will satisfy them later on. But um, it's just important to understand that, you know, you don't get yourself in that position where you're expected to have all the answers because that's just not the case. Like you say, yes. That that
2: is the danger, isn't it? Because, you know, for a lot of coaches, they're now saying to us, well, I I am the coach. I should have all the answers. And, you know, that vulnerability piece that you're talking about there is almost that empathy, empathy and compassion to understand that, actually, you know what, I'm on this journey as much as you are as the player. So if you can understand that we're on this journey together, I'm also learning, you're learning, I'm I'm trying to develop, you're trying to develop, then it's almost it it opens the door for a more collaborative approach to their, you know, to the development of not just the player, but yourself as a coach. Whereas yeah. I think a lot of coaches, if they've got their kind of, you know, their blinkers up the egos, the egos on, you know, turned on and they don't recognize actually no, I haven't got all the answers. Yeah. That could probably put them in more danger than than anything else.
3: Best conversations I've had, the, the ability for me to provide clarity, accept that I haven't got the answers and just be honest. Yeah, I think you've just got to be honest. And if you can do these three things, add clarity, be honest and then be vulnerable. Have you always
2: been able to do that though, Dean? Was there a point in your journey where that wasn't possible because you couldn't see the benefits or, the, or how actually that could be quite effective as a tool for a coach?
3: I guess I, probably saw, I guess I probably saw it as a weakness, like early doors, very early doors. Yes. But it's definitely not. It's, if anything, it's become a strength of mine mate. So what, what
2: changed for you, though? Because, you know, like I said, there's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this, whether new coaches, experienced coaches, who maybe haven't yet got to that point of um, not knowing, or sorry, knowing what they don't already know, or not knowing what they don't know, rather. Yeah. Where you're still going to be struggling with the idea of actually, like you've just said there, it could be it could be seen as a weakness, but actually, you know, you I think you'd agree in saying that actually, well, not actually. Once you address it, it is probably your biggest strength.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's difficult. I can't I can't really comment because every every coach is in a different situation with yeah. different sets of people that you know they probably don't. Yeah, they don't want to compromise themselves by being in those situations. But ultimately, if you're going to make decisions on players and you're going to make you know players better and you're going to deal with families, then I think is pinnacle.
2: Awesome, awesome. Dean, look, I'm conscious of time as well, so I'm just you know just want to say massive thank you so far. And you know, just on a final note, is there any key messages that you want to share with any coaches listening to this around you know how they can maybe further develop themselves and what they can do to kind of you know. Propel their careers in any way, or have a bigger impact on players in, in in any respect.
3: I would keep checking and challenging what you know and what you're getting taught. I think that's that's massive. That's one thing for me in my in my journey that I've just asked questions around whatever, whatever. Like it could be something simple simple as a practice. Why are you going to do that? Oh, because of, I'll get this return. Oh, okay. Just keep checking and challenging because, so it's not we don't have all the answers. Nothing's ever perfect but a lot of things can be borne out of just asking the question. Mm, I think yeah,
2: I'll leave no, it on that. No, no, I think it's, you're spot on, because, you know, I, I was just about to say that, good, good friend of mine always said, you know, the quality of your answers is, is dictated by the quality of your questions. Um, there's always solutions there that are available if you're, looking for the right, if, you, if you're looking for the right problems. So I think it's, you know, I think it's a great point, you know, check and challenge, but I think, you know, just kind of layer on top of that, it's check, challenge, but also... I can't remember who said it, but it was almost: don't look for reasons why what you're trying to rationalise makes sense. Look for the reasons why it can't make sense. And if you're if you're struggling to do that, then you know you're onto probably you're probably onto a good thing. um Whereas if you can provide all the reasons for why, it's not going to be hard, is it? You're always going to look for reasons why. But if you can provide reasons for why not, then you know it's probably got there's probably a bit more strength and credibility around it. So that would be you know that probably be my key takeaway. Um, but no, Dean, thank you very much for your time. And I really appreciate it. And, you know, it's been really insightful just to kind of get a bit of, you know, understanding of your journey, some of the key takeaways and how and how you've transitioned from, you know, that that coach who's jumped on the youth ward early on with some, you know, some big coaches around him and obviously transitioned to now, you know, someone who specialises in the foundation phase rather than considering themselves a foundation phase specialist.
3: No, thanks very much, yeah. Honestly, it's an absolute pleasure. I appreciate it.